that's a great way to um, kind of end that, that, that time of worship, if you will, the way we listen to music, we worship that way. Another way we worship is at work. You know, it's Labor Day. And one of the things we wanted to do is to encourage you to be thinking about, you know, how do I share my faith in everything I do? Because our faith is not just expressed here on Sunday morning through a time of worship here. We take our faith from here. It's who we are. And we share our faith. We share the love of Jesus Christ. It is the goal of every believer to share the gospel. And that's, that's everywhere, at work, at home, at school. It doesn't matter where we are. We take the gospel with us. So I just want to encourage you this morning. It's Labor Day. You're getting some rest. But when you go back, when you go back to work, you need to take your faith with you. At the end of the service, we're going to celebrate the ordination of one of our elders uh, in the church, Chuck Proudfit, who is the founder of At Work on Purpose. And uh, I love what I love about this church is that it's, you know, our, our, our vision is that we are a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion and unleashing purpose. And people's purposes have been unleashed in this church in so many different directions because we've said, hey, it's not just about what happens on Sunday morning. True faith is about what happens seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So we're talking about sharing the gospel. And before I jump into uh, the last sermon in this series that we've, we've been a part of, I want to talk about next week and going forward. We're going to enter a series called How to Defend Your Faith and Stay Friends. How to Defend Your Faith and Stay Friends. And it's based on a book that, that I wrote. Um, and, and a lot of you have talked, we've talked about this before, but it's this, um, a young woman who, when I was 17 years old, I went to church for the very first time. And uh, they broke, I won't get into the whole story, but they broke out some Play-Doh during this youth service. And uh, I was like, I'm out of here. Um, at that point, you know, the last thing I did was hang around people who played with Play-Doh, okay? And so I wanted to get out of there, but um, I had put myself in a position where I couldn't leave, and this young woman came up to me and gave me 30 smile faces made out of Play-Doh and said, we're all glad you're here. And that truly had such an impact on my life, because every other situation that I go into as a, when I was a high school student, when it was new, it ended up in some kind of confrontation between my friends and whoever else was there. And so this was different for me. And it, it got me to come back to church the second time. Fast forward 30 years, and, uh, and she Facebook friended me. And in that conversation, that fir the f first conversation, I realized that she is no longer walking with the Lord for the past 30 years. And so we were, we have been in a over 10 year conversation. Then part of it is basically this book. It's just 600 pages broken down in this book, not 600 pages, but 600 pages of, of Facebook conversation, you know, um, you know, how, why does God allow suffering? Uh, how do we know the difference between right and wrong? Is, 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 there, is there a right and wrong? All the kinds of questions that people ask, that your friends ask, are, most of them are in this book or we'll be talking about them in the next series. It's an apologetic series. So here's what I want you to do. Um, the publisher was able to get the book finished this week instead of next week, which was great for me. Because what I'd like you to do is to, the books are on sale out here. If I could give them to you, I would, but it's actually a publisher, so I don't, it's not self-published, so I just can't give them away. But they're out here at the, uh, at the desk, 
the, uh, the um, uh, Wise Words desk. You can buy them there. You can go online at grace-chapel.com and you can purchase them there. But you can get them out here because here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the time to invite someone that you've been talking to. It's, it's sometimes much easier to say, hey, I know you've had some questions or love you to read this book. Check this out. And we're starting a new series in our church next week that's going to be answering a lot of the questions you may have. And then we'll give opportunities for people um, who come to come on Wednesday mornings, Wednesday nights, other times where we can sit down and answer their questions. So this is going to be a really great opportunity for evangelism, okay, to reach out to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers. So buy a book for yourself, buy one for somebody else, give it to them and invite them to the service. Let's fill this place up during this next series. Okay, so we can see people come into a saving faith in Jesus Christ. All of your friends, and even you, have tons of questions. This is a great time to answer those questions and to get into conversations. And you'll have the book, too, where you can help answer some of those questions or point them in the right direction. So this is going to be a great time for us to, to kind of pull people within the body of Christ, into the body of Christ, who maybe don't have a home church, um, maybe don't know the Lord, just people that you've been talking to. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into the sermon. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us, Lord God. Thank you for this opportunity to, to use this opportunity, Lord, to draw people into a relationship with you. I pray that we would overcome our fears. I pray that we would be bold. I pray that we would take the resource that you're giving to us, Lord God, that we would reach out to those who don't know you. Help us to be bold, to have the courage to care if people are going to spend eternity with you or without you. Help us to overcome our fears and think about that so we can lead people into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray now, Lord God, that you would go before every single one of us as we're thinking about maybe a couple of people we want to invite to church. I pray that you would go before us through your Holy Spirit, begin to speak to their hearts, soften their hearts, Lord God, And draw them to yourself in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Okay, so last week we started talking about emotional maturity. Okay, so we're going to close off this series in part two of this idea of emotional maturity. This morning I want to continue that, right? I want to continue it and kind of help you use it to help you in your everyday life. How, how can we grow in spiritual maturity? How can we grow in emotional maturity in our everyday lives? And including our work life, because it's Labor Day. So I'm really weaving in this whole idea of how you can use that emotional maturity in your work life. So every day we go to work, right? Every day, we, some of us go to school or we're at home, whatever it is, and what we do is we invest in relationships. We're relational beings. We have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with others. Even people who don't have a relationship with God have a relationship with other people, so we're relational beings. Having emotional maturity is key to the health and success of all of your relationships. You know this. The people in your family at Thanksgiving or whenever they come and they hang, you hang around with, the people who do not have emotional maturity really struggle in their relationships. When I think of emotional maturity in the Bible, after Jesus, I think of Joseph. Think about that. 
After Jesus, who's our perfect example, the person that sticks out to me who has real emotional maturity is Joseph. You remember Joseph, right? He told his brothers. Joseph loved to tell his brothers all about his dreams, right? So he tells his brothers about his dreams and um, about his dreams that they would someday bow down to him. And for some reason, beyond my understanding, his brothers, his older brothers, did not appreciate They weren't really fascinated by his dream and they weren't really spiritually motivated by Joseph's dream. In Genesis 37, 5 through 8, it says this. Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had, what he had said. So not to go through the whole story, but I'll give you the highlights. So they plotted against Joseph. Couldn't stand his guts. He was, you know, he was young and he was just sharing. He wasn't doing it to be obnoxious. He was just sharing the dreams that he had. Joseph had the ability, he had these amazing dreams, and then he had the ability to interpret dreams. So they plotted against him. They ended up throwing him in a cistern, right, a deep well. They decided, ah, let's not kill him. But they throw him in the well and they tell their father he's dead. They end up selling Joseph into slavery. He's taken. He ultimately finds himself as a slave in Potiphar's house. So he's in Potiphar's house. He's a slave there. Potiphar puts him in charge. You know, Joseph, wherever he went, he rose to the top. So Potiphar puts him in charge of his household, everything but his wife. So his wife decides that Joseph is kind of ruddy and handsome and she's going to try to seduce Joseph. Joseph kind of like pushes off all her advances. She doesn't like that. So then she accuses Joseph of attacking her. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Okay, he didn't really do anything wrong at home. He didn't really do anything wrong at Potiphar's house. And he finds himself now in prison. He's in prison. He's interpreting some dreams for people. Uh, the Pharaoh has a dream and he wants to know the interpretation. Doesn't know what it is. Someone says, hey, I know this guy I was in prison with. He can interpret your dream. Pharaoh goes to him. Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh says, boom, you're out of jail now. Get out of jail free. You're going to be in charge of all of Egypt. You're the only person not more powerful than you is me. So Joseph ends up in the palace, okay? He ends up in the palace. His emotional and spiritual maturity basically pays off. In Genesis 41, 39 through 41, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Right now, think about this. Put yourself in Joseph's place. Go back. What happened to him all the way through, right? Telling his dream to his brother's sister in Potiphar's house, a whole nine yards. Okay, even in prison, he had some really bad experiences where, you know, he had interpreted a dream and, and the person he interpreted a dream forgot about him, didn't help him at all. So he's got all these things going on. Now Joseph has all the power. Emotional maturity. Now Joseph has all the power. The question is, how is, how is he going to use it? 
And then what can we learn from Joseph about, um, about our, own, our own spiritual or emotional maturity, our own path, my path, your path to emotional maturity? What can we learn from Joseph in a world filled with difficult people and circumstances, right? Every single day seems to bring all these new difficulties, these new circumstances, new situations, new people, new confrontations. So what can we learn from Joseph and how he handled his own life? Last week, we, I shared a very, uh, the first step, if you will. We're going to talk about steps here. I shared a very important steps. We need to know and understand God's word. We need to know and we need to understand God's word. We need to be reading it. We need to know it. And not only that, but we need to understand it. We're going again into this new series in apologetics. The reason many of you don't talk to your friends about your faith is you're afraid they're going to ask you questions that you won't be able to answer. You know, here's a great answer just so you know. Hey, that's a great question. I'm not really sure. Let me go check on that and I'll get back to you. And then we can talk about it. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, but that's why so many people don't, don't engage people in their faith because they don't, they don't know the word and they're not sure if they can answer the questions that people are going to ask when they ask them. Joseph knew, knew his God. He knew his God. He may not have applied um, his biblical knowledge uh, you know, perfectly when he was young and interacting with his family, probably not the best thing to do to sit around with your family and tell them all of your dreams about them bowing down to you, especially in that culture. He may not have had all that down, but he, he grew, he learned. Joseph was a quick learner and he grew very, very quickly. See, we need to follow his lead when we are by spending time with God and allowing God to teach us. So Joseph teaches us that we need to spend time with the Lord in prayer, spend time with the Lord in silence, spend time with the Lord in his word, getting to know him and allowing him, allowing God to teach us. The next step is to use our God-given capacity to reason and apply the knowledge that we have. Use your God-given capacity to reason and apply the knowledge that you have. At work, this could mean if you're a manager of people, for example, you go back to work on Monday, you're, you're having trouble with some of the employees, you're managing these people, whatever your position is, and you're having trouble. It may mean that you need to go back and you need to build deeper relationships with those employees so you can understand their personality. Everyone is motivated in a different way. All people are different. You have a leadership style. That's fine. But maybe your leadership style is not motivating all the people on your team. It, it, here's the thing. It, maybe, it's not, um, maybe it's not your employee's lack of ability sometimes. Maybe it's, it's your, um, your application of those things. Maybe it's how you're approaching them. Again, maybe it's not their ability, maybe it's your approach. So you've got to take a step back, you learn, okay, you say, I've got, to, I've got to use the capacity that God has given me to understand these folks, each as an individual, and then motivate them depending on what their personality is and how they're motivated. Joseph 
Joseph used his mind, he used his mind to, to obviously think and to plan, and to arrive at conclusions, and to answer questions, and to make decisions. We need to use the mind, the mind that God has given to us, the knowledge he's given to us, the discernment he's given to us, and not just the emotions when we're making our decisions, when we're making choices, when we run up against difficult situations. We need to think. We need to use the knowledge he has given us, the mind that he has given us, the discernment that he has given us, the wisdom that he has given us, and not just the emotions that he has given to us. Emotions are not terrible. They're not bad. But if that's all you're using when you're interacting in relationships, that's not emotional maturity. Because you're going to react sometimes. And if you don't use the mind that God has given you, you're going to get into difficult situations. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says a gentle answer turns away wrath and I don't know how many times I've been in situations where someone comes up and they're just you you've been in these situations where someone's just red faced and they're really upset maybe they don't have all the information and they're just unloading on you and so all of a sudden emotionally you go by your emotions your emotions raise up and oh here we go and up against each and you're you're in this battle. The Bible says, wait, a gentle answer turns away wrath. So now I have to think. They're coming at me. They're really upset. How do I interact with that person? If I'm able to keep my composure and ask questions, why are you so upset? What do you think? The, you know, and oh, that, that's not exactly how that happened. And talk calmly, slowly, rationally, reasonably. It allows the other person to come down as well. I've seen it in my own life. Now, it doesn't work all the time. But it works most of the time. If you don't raise, if they're here and you come here, they'll go to here, you go to here, you go to here. Don't do that. They go here, you go down here. And they'll slowly come to meet you. And they'll begin to realize, wait, I'm overreacting. I'm looking foolish. I'm screaming and carrying on. I need to get control of myself. And it works. Can you think about this? Can you just imagine? Can you, can you imagine if jo- Joseph only used his raw emotions, okay, in this story, to direct his actions. Think about that. Can you imagine if Joseph only used his raw emotions to direct his actions? Everyone in this story would be dead or in prison. If it was 95% of everybody else on the planet, this story would be about revenge, Right? You'd be reading the story going, oh, 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 now he's on top. What's he going to do with the cupbearer? What's he going to do with Potiphar's wife? What's he going to do with Potiphar for not believing him? What's he going to do to all his brothers? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And it would all be based on, ooh, now he's going to get him. Because if Joseph made his decisions on his raw emotions, then who wouldn't then make sure that everyone in this story who enslaved me, throw me in a cistern, tore me away from my family, put me in horrible situations, was not going to now get theirs, right? They need to get theirs. That's only fair, your emotions will tell you. That's fair. I'm going to get them back. Do unto others, right? They did it to me, I'm going to do it to them. That's, what, that's the golden rule. Do unto others. If they get you, you get them. Can you imagine? But that's not what Joseph did. Another step to emotional maturity is developing Christ-like character. We develop Christ-like character by directing our minds and our bodies toward righteousness. 
We develop Christ-like character by, by, by directing our minds and our bodies toward righteousness, righteousness, by trying to follow Christ's example in everything that we do as often as we can. How do we follow his example? Joseph is a type of Christ. You say, what on earth does that mean? A type of Christ, okay? A type in scripture is a person or thing in the Old Testament that, that, that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. So Joseph had many of the characteristics of Jesus Christ. If you follow Joseph's story and you follow the, the story of Jesus Christ, he's a type of Christ, it's a, way to, it's a way to get our minds thinking about the Messiah all through Scripture. But Joseph is an incredible type of Jesus Christ. He, he showed that Christ-like character. Christ-like character does not mean... Okay, this is important. Christ-like character does not mean that you have complete control of how you feel in every situation. That is so important. I am sure, I am sure Joseph felt betrayed. I'm sure when he was sitting in that cistern and being carted off, okay, to be enslaved, I'm sure that he felt this abandonment. I'm sure he felt abuse. I'm sure he felt hurt by what his brothers had chosen to do. According to science, it is impossible, it is impossible for people to be completely under control, emotional, emotionally under control all the time in every situation. It's impossible. And honestly, I have, no, I have no biblical or personal argument with that assessment, with that conclusion. I actually think it is unhealthy to control your emotions. I think it's unhealthy to control your emotions in certain situations. Last year, around July, my father passed. He passed on a Sunday morning, an hour and a half. I found out that he died an hour and a half before, uh, Sunday, before I had to preach on Sunday mornings. I have learned over the years, because of ministry, to be really honest with you, I have learned so well how to control my emotions. I can go into a place and I can just get myself in a place. I have learned so well how to control my emotions. I chose an hour and a half after he died to preach two sermons. I now believe that was a mistake. It really was. It was a, I look back on that and kind of ways, things that happened afterwards. I think controlling my emotions to the point where after my father died, an hour and a half before, I can get up here and preach two sermons and keep myself emotionally under control. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. I actually think that emotional maturity is not about controlling your emotions it's not just about controlling your emotions. It's about reacting appropriately to your emotions. Emotional maturity is not just about controlling your emotions and situations. I can do that, guys. I really can. If I don't want you to get, if I don't want to get worked up by something, I don't get worked up by it. I have learned to control my emotions. But that isn't the pinnacle of emotional maturity at all. It's basically learning how to appropriately react to your emotions. In some cases, the Bible calls us to control our emotions. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But not in all cases. Not in all cases. Think about this. Okay, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. Okay, it says the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus wept. He didn't weep. Go, look, go read it. He didn't weep because Lazarus had died. 
Okay, he knew he's God. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that. He wept because he walked in on a situation where his close friends, people he loved dearly, were weeping and they were, they, were, they were so sad, they were so broken, they were in so much pain. And he entered into the, his, their pain with them and he wept as well. He wasn't weeping because Lazarus was gone forever because he was just about to be raised up. He allowed himself to feel in that moment and he wept with them. It says he wept over the misery of the condition of mankind. He wept. He allowed himself to enter into, he looked at the world and he looked at the condition and the misery of this world and he cried. He allowed himself to feel. He felt, he felt emotion. He felt righteous anger, right? When he chased all those money changers out of the temple with the whip. He felt righteous anger. He allowed himself to feel that anger. He did not sin. It was righteous anger. When you see injustice in the world, things that are completely unjust, when you see things around the world in your own neighborhood that are not just, it is okay to feel righteously angry. Jesus, Jesus' emotions were so powerful in the Garden of Gethsemane that he literally sweat blood. He sweat blood. So there's nothing wrong with showing our emotions. Some of you, some of you have controlled your emotions to an unhealthy, to an unhealthy point, to an unhealthy degree. Some of you have learned to control your emotions to an unhealthy degree. You have, for years, you've been controlling your emotions. You're in a situation and you're, you've learned to control your emotions. It needs to stop. That is not emotional maturity. You can, here's the thing, you can stuff them. My friends, listen, hear me out for a second, I love you. You can stuff them, they're not going to stay stuffed. They're not going to stay stuffed. You either need to find, us. We, have a, we have Stephen ministry here in the church. You need to find a Stephen minister that you can talk to and you can share with that will take you to the grave with them, whatever you say. But you need to talk to them. You need to find a counselor that you can sit down. You know, counselors, I, I know a lot of counselors here. I'm not busting on you. But it's not the, the dynamic things they say sometimes, though. They say some dynamic things. I'll just say that so you're all happy. Um, it's not the dynamic things that pastors or counselors say sometimes. It's allowing you to speak. Okay? When you speak, when you speak things out, when you say things, they, every time you say it, it loses power. Okay? It comes back. Every time you speak something that's burdening you, you're overwhelmed by it. You speak it, it loses power. That's why the Bible tells you to do that, because if you speak it, it loses power every single time and becomes less and less and less powerful over you. You need to find a counselor. You need to find a Stephen minister. You need to find a friend. If you, if you only trust one friend, then get with that friend and talk to them about that. Our emotions are so important. And we can't, we, can't do this, we can't do this to ourselves. We can't frazzle ourselves by, you know, I'm just going to, I'm under control, I'm under control, I'm under control. Mm, you, not really. It's like, a, it's like you put the kettle on the stove. Remember those with the ones that used to whistle? I don't, I'm not sure we have those anymore, but you put it on there. It's like you soldered the top shut and you close the top part that allows the, the, the steam to come out. And you just sit it on there. What's gonna, just tell me, what's going to happen to that kettle if you do that for long enough? Do not think that your emotions are not the same way. 
God wants us to feel. Jesus gave us an example of how to feel. It's okay to feel. It's okay to express those things. It is not okay. It is not okay to control your emotions to the point where um, you're just holding them all in because you will explode. And that is not, that is not spiritually or emotionally healthy for any of you. And I want to say it one more time. Please go find someone that you can talk to that is so, so important for you and your spiritual walk. Our emotions help us appreciate our experiences. They help us make good decisions. And they, 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 they help us feel connected to the people around us. So if you're, if you're subduing those, you're not going to make good decisions. You're, you're not going to appreciate the experience that you're having around you. And you're not going to be able to connect and relate to the people around you the way that you should in a healthy way. What I'm trying to say is that God, God says it's okay to experience strong emotions. They're not wrong. Experiencing emotions is wrong. And I'm saying this over and over again the last two weeks because I've got up here and I've said most of the, I've said so many times, you guys are letting your emotions dictate your actions. Don't let your emotions dictate your actions. Learn to control your emotions. Control your emotions. Control your emotions. And that's true. We need to learn to control our emotions. But that's only true to a point. Emotions are not bad. They're not bad. They're God-given. We just need to learn how to use them. We need to learn how to apply them. We need to use our other spirit-given abilities to reason, uh, to reason through, the, uh, through the options, okay, and how we should respond to our strong emotions. So we need to use our minds. We need to use our reason. We need to use our wisdom. We need to use our discernment. We need to use all of those things, not just our emotion, emotions, as we're thinking through the options and how we're going to respond to those strong emotions. Some of you have really bad tempers, you know, and you can't control your temper. You need to work on that. You need to think through other options, not just let your emotions take over and then you lash out and then you're sorry later on. Start to work on those. Use your reason. Use your mind. Use, use your wisdom. Use your discernment. Use the word of God. You look up every single scripture that talks about anger in the Bible. You look up every single one and bring them to mind when you start getting angry. Let the word of God permeate your whole life and those scriptures start coming to mind when you start to get angry. That's what we're talking about here. There's nothing wrong with our emotions. Emotional maturity is all about spirit, reason, and emotion working together to accomplish God's purpose for your life. Right? That's emotional maturity. It's talking about reason, spirit, the spirit, and emotion working together to accomplish God's purpose for my life. All those things working together. And there's nothing wrong with any of them, including your emotions. Again, think about Joseph and how he handled his brothers. Think about it. How Joseph handled his brothers here. He showed another step to emotional maturity um, by having an eternal perspective. I, use, I talk about this all, of, all the time, but I'm telling you, when you finally grasp what we're talking about here, it will change your entire life. Joseph did not have a temporal perspective. A temporal perspective is, I'm going to get every single one of these bums who, to, who did this to me. One by one, I'm going to ruin their lives. That's, an, that's a temporal perspective. Joseph had an eternal perspective. Genesis 50, 18 through 21, it says, His brothers came, then came and threw themselves down before him. This is 
down the road here after the famine, all that kind of stuff. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, this is what he says to them after everything that's happened to him. Don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Eternal perspective. I'm where I am, not because of you, but because God allowed me to be here and he's using this for the good of many. So then, do, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and he spoke kindly to them. That is an eternal perspective. We need to try and see all of life. We need to stop and we need to try to see all of life from God's perspective, from God's perspective. We need to see ourselves and others the way God sees us, the way God sees life. We need to take the time to focus on that because Joseph could see life from an eternal perspective. He developed some emotional skills that allowed him to navigate through life's, some of life's most difficult times Jealousy, okay? The jealousy of his brothers. Betrayal, right? Abandonment, abuse, hardship of every kind. He was able to overcome those things because he saw things from an eternal perspective and he had emotional maturity. I, I like using the word skill here because skill is, a skill is learned. A skill is learned. What, skill, what, what skills, so that's what I want to talk about for the next couple of minutes. What skills did Joseph learn that we can adopt, that we can apply to our lives? What kind of skills did Joseph learn that we can apply to our lives? He had the ability to sympathize. That is a very important skill for all of us to learn from the emotional maturity standpoint. We have to be able to sympathize. Our ability to sympathize, our ability to empathize helps us maintain and strengthen relationships. If I can see it from your perspective, if I can understand why you're saying what you're saying and what you're going through, it allows me to strengthen our relationship with one another. It builds emotional ties it builds emotional ties with us which helps grow our emotional maturity which helps strengthen and develop our emotional maturity Joseph was able to show compassion show compassion, mercy, kindness to his brothers man, that's emotional maturity another skill that we need to learn is delayed gratification delayed gratification Joseph trusted in He trusted in and he waited on God to bring about change in his circumstances. Think about that. All the things he went through, he trusted in, trust in the Lord. This is what the series is all about. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He trusted in and he, and he, and he basically waited on God to bring about change in his circumstances from his home to the cistern, to slavery in Potiphar's house, to prison, to the palace, he waited on God each time. He waited on God. He trusted in God. To accomplish our goals, our spiritual goals, to accomplish our purpose, we need to resist the impulse to have it all now. You think I'm saying that and it's like I'm just to have it all now. Yeah, yeah, one ear out the other. No, 
No, no, no. We're, our culture is consumed by having it right now. We need to fight the impulse to have it right now. We need to fight that impulse. Emotional maturity is not having everything right now. Emotional immaturity is wanting everything at that moment. Remember we said last week that, that, we, that, we, that the mature, if you will, the mature give and the emotionally immature they take. And we said that the way you grow to emotional maturity is to go from self-centeredness to others-centeredness. From self-centered, I, me, I want it now, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me now, it's all mine, things should go my way, to other person-centeredness. See, I want to challenge you, I want you to write this down, I want to challenge every single one of you, all of us, okay, together, need to read and memorize Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, just write that down, I'm not going to go through it, I just want you to write it down, and I want you to memorize, I'm not going to ask you or put you on the spot, but memorize Philippians 2, 1 through 8, you're going to use it every single day of your life. Emotional maturity is simply, emotional immaturity is simply letting your natural reactions, your natural tendencies, your, your natural, your human nature, if you will, have its way. Just letting it have its way without using the spirit given skills to think and to reason. It's just reacting to your emotions. We cannot achieve spiritual maturity until we have acquired emotional stability. We cannot reach spiritual maturity until we have acquired emotional stability. And emotional stability comes from reason, right? It comes from reasoning and thinking and our emotions and our spirit all working together equally. Emotional maturity builds relational success in every area of your life. You say, why, well, why, why should I even bother with this? Because it will build... It, seriously? You... <laughs> If you get married, I'm just telling you, I'm saying this again. If you get married and you're emotionally immature, you are in for the ride of your life. And it's not a good ride. If, you, if you're younger right now, you need to work on this because you do not want to get married if you're emotionally immature. Both of you are going to pay a heavy price. God gave us our feelings and emotions for a purpose. Listen. Our feelings and emotions were designed, they were literally designed into us. They, 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 are, they should be intelligently guided by controlling our mind and bringing it under the authority of God. Controlling our mind, controlling our emotions. I mean, thinking through and bringing all those things, bringing our mind and bringing our emotions, bringing our knowledge and emotions, all of that, our discernment under the authority of God. Emotional maturity does not mean, I'm going to say this again, this is important. Emotional maturity does not mean emotionless maturity any more than it means uncontrolled emotion, okay? Emotional maturity does not mean emotionless maturity any more than it means uncontrolled emotion. Also, our emotions are to be controlled, hear me out on this one, our emotions are to be controlled, not anesthetized or stuffed. 
If you're, you, we talk, we sing songs about, the, the, about Christ, right? He is all-sufficient, the all-sufficient guy. We do Bible studies, we sing songs, we read our Bibles, and Christ is sufficient. Is he? Is he? Or do you have to go home every single night and, and, ta- and, get a, and, and drink in order to control or to subdue your emotions, in order to make it to the next day? Emotional maturity, okay, is not anesthetizing or stuffing your emotions. Those are, that's not emotional maturity. Christ is sufficient, and we need to turn those over to him. The emotionally mature express their passions with enthusiasm. They feel joy. They feel that, that joy. They feel all these emotions intensely. They, they feel and they express compassion, and they feel and they express mercy, and they feel and they express kindness, and they feel and they express all of these things with intensity. And those feelings, those feelings of mercy and compassion, they drive that person to action. I allow myself to lay in bed sometimes and just think about orphans and widows around the world and the, and the suffering they go through because it drives me to action. I want to enter into their suffering because it drives me to action. The emotionally mature are spirit-led. They are spirit-led. They have a disciplined mind and they rely on God's word to guide them through life's most difficult challenges. And that is something, my friends, as we close off, that is something every single one of us, okay, needs to pray about. That should be our prayer this morning, that we, that, that we are spirit-led, that we have a disciplined mind, and that we, are, we rely on God's word to help us through life's most difficult challenges. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I, I hope, I just hope we've learned to do that during this series. I really do. If you need to go back and listen to it, go back and listen to it. Because this will, trans, if we can own these things, if we can get these concepts down, it will transform our lives. Now, as we close off, I'm going to ask Chuck to come up. Chuck's one of our elders. It's Labor Day, and I thought, what a great day to do this. Chuck Proudfit is one of our elders, and, and Chuck was asked to take over the director, the city director position for Made to Flourish. In order for Chuck to do that, Chuck needed to be ordained. Okay, and Chuck, Chuck and I are like, uh, like partners in crime on marketplace ministry things. And so we, Chuck went through the ordination process. He had to write the paper. Then he had to sit down with the council and we had to ask him questions. He had to go through the same process as anyone else. And Chuck was able to get through that process. Congratulations. That was really good. You did a good job too, man. That was really good. Thank you.